Welcome to Optivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Aptivate brought to you by Remerge. As always, I'm your host, Maria Lannan, and today I have a terrific guest with us. Please join me in welcoming Jesse Lampianen. He is the CEO and co-founder of Geek Lab. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks a lot for having me. Stoked to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So you are based in Finland, right? Yes, yes. Despite the common belief, not too many reindeers here. We're just more like a lot of people here with love for saunas and making mobile games. That's more what we are here in Finland, I guess. I can get on board with that. Love a good sauna. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know the fact about reindeers, though. No, it's just something I've heard quite often that people (laughs) actually think that we live among reindeers, which is not actually true, but would love to, though. I mean, that would be cool. But no reindeers. Okay. No, unfortunately. Well, it is a pleasure to have you. I think just to get us started, I'd love to hear more about your story, how you got started with Geek Lab. You are one of the co-founders, so it'd be great to hear just more about your background and who Geek Lab is and how you got started. Yeah, I actually have quite a common story for anyone that's ever worked in the gaming industry here in Finland. My background is also from Rovio, so the makers of Angry Birds. I started off there quite shortly after finishing up with or actually meet my college and worked there as a product marketing manager for a few years, launched a couple of great games. I was happy to be part of those. Angry Birds Dream Blast, for example, being one of those. And then we were making a new Forex game, a strategy game, and I was really struggling to figure out what we should actually call the game itself. And I was trying to look for different solutions, different tools that would allow us to test what would be the best name for the, the game that we're about to come up with. And we couldn't really find anything that would be suitable for our budget and fast for us to execute. Literally picked up my phone, called my friend, (laughs) said, let's fix this thing and started to work on Geek Lab at that very second. And that's how we started off with Geek Lab. And it's been four years, five years. COVID kind of messed up my capabilities of counting years. (laughs) It's been a few years now. Grown the team slowly. We're now a team of 19 people, all based here in Helsinki, Finland. So I'm working semi-remotely, but yeah, more or less locally here. That's very impressive, growing the team and, and starting this just based off of your experience. So you started Geek Lab while you were still working for a studio, correct? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Rovio was kind enough to let me actually work at the very beginning, simultaneously both on Geek Lab during nights and then moonlighting Geek Lab during nights and then doing Rovio stuff during days. So that was kind of an easy way to kick things off, specifically when the Geek Lab itself was basically built for a customer like myself. So me being a product marketing manager that was in need for a tool that would allow me to test certain things that otherwise I couldn't. And obviously then that ended up helping Rovio quite a bit to being able to provide Rovio with the tool and with the data that Rovio was in need of. And I did that for about a half a year, more or less. So up until then, jumped full time on Geek Lab. Very cool. So what is it that you have developed specifically at Geek Lab? Let's dive into that. We call these things lookalike store pages. So essentially our platform 
allows you to create App Store and Google Play pages or Huawei or Steam pages that actually look and feel exactly like the real pages do. The reasoning why we need a tool like ours is that there's certain limitations that come with like the native testing opportunities that, for example, Apple or Google provides. Just like I mentioned, coming up with a new game idea or new app idea, wanting to figure out what would you actually call the app itself would already be something that you couldn't actually test with the actual testing pages as they don't support any testing unless you actually develop the app already and have it up and running. So that's the very core of our features of our platform that kicked everything off. But ever since then, we've continuously worked very closely with the developers that we work with and developed additional tools on top of that core A-B testing tool to support different scenarios. So whether you're doing exactly what was the original reason for founding Geek Lab, finding out what would be the best theme or for apps particularly, you could be like how the app actually would look like, what would be the branding around it. If you would want to test all of these before you actually develop the app. So then that's one use case for our tool. But then the other is if the app actually already exists and you want to, let's say, optimize for anything seasonal. Uh, summer is shortly over and you might have to change your store visuals to be a bit more finish, so to say, a bit colder. So then our tool would also allow you to actually holistically test everything instantly compared to what, for example, the live tools testing opportunities allow you to do. So a lot of the testing that these apps are doing, it's not in the live environment within the Google Play or App Store, correct? It would be within your platform. Yeah. Maybe the biggest reason for that is, hence also our name, Geek Lab itself, is that quite often specifically... Whilst working at Rovio, us having like a brand like Angry Birds, it's truly a blessing and a curse because it's such a big title that the amount of like uncontrolled traffic is also huge. Meaning that whenever you run a test, for example, in Google Play experiments, you really didn't have all the variables in your hands, actually, because you never knew what happened to the actual source of traffic. That was like something that you couldn't control. Whereas with our platform, as you know exactly where the users come from, so it's a very controlled experiment where you can actually get repeatable test results and truly like optimize certain marketing funnels the way you want it. Got it. Do apps need to have different strategies based on App Store, right? So is Google Play very different than Apple App Store? How do you help these developers make these changes or... Are they doing different things within each of the app stores? What do you find? Yeah, absolutely. So you're 100% right there because not only have you obviously seen in the industry that there are differences between Android and iOS users looking at the overall segments, but just on top of that, the store layouts themselves are actually quite different. So iOS has a way bigger icon and the screenshots are actually scaled by width rather than height, meaning that if you have portrait screenshots, they then take up a good majority of your screen space on the first sort of view. So there's also from the layout point of view, big differences that if you play things right on iOS, for example, you can have much more impact from the visuals rather than on Google. So that's just one thing from the top of my mind. So founding a company, lots of work went into it. I'm sure you were working at Rovio at the same time in the beginning, what has been the most challenging part or what have you learned since starting the company that maybe like you had this vision of what it was going to be like and has that changed? So we bootstrapped in the beginning. So we just did our first funding, not sure what to call it, was it seed or what, because we took it so late stage, 
but we bootstrapped the first four years or so. So definitely the limited budget was something that we made us to operate in a bit of a different way. And actually that's a good segue into a lot on where our platform is being used the most with, for example, game developers, because in the beginning we had extremely limited budget. So we didn't afford at all to develop something for like three months and then release it and then hope for the best that actually people would enjoy it. Instead, we had to do everything extremely right in the front of everyone that was using our platform. And we're still actually doing that. So really, truly developing whilst getting immediate feedback from our developers and customers that we're, we're working with to learn and see if the features that we're building are living up to the expectations or if they even provide any value for our customers. So that was something that we learned quite early on. And I think that helped us a lot to not do the traditional rocket launching technique where you, you actually build the rocket for quite a while and then you push the red button, pop a champagne bottle open and uh, enjoy life, but actually just hand everything out raw in front of the audience from day one. And that's actually how we've also seen that whenever someone uses our platform and has extremely good success with new game launches or app launches, which is very, very difficult these days as the quantity is, is quite a lot in which we see new apps and games come out. So that's been, I would say, the one single success nominator between all of these that they test a lot in the very early stages, meaning that they also allow to fail multiple times because the longer it takes for you to end up into a situation where you realize that, oh, well, we built out this fitness app but it's very oversaturated. We should have focused more on like, let's say, just workout plans rather than having the holistic nutrition and everything included. If it takes you like nine months to get to that point compared to you could have run like a few tests in the very beginning and get to the same conclusion in like the first two months, that's been the most crucial thing I would say that we ended up luckily doing correctly, I guess, with our customers. And then what we've seen that our customers are doing correctly when they find success. What is the testing that these apps are doing? You mentioned A-B testing in the beginning of our conversation. A-B testing can be many different things. So are there specific features that these developers are testing out? Would love to hear more about the ins and outs there. I can use what I just mentioned as an example. So let's say you and I would now get the great idea to build up a fitness app. But even within the fitness app itself, there's multiple ways of what would be the core value propositions and what would be the core feature sets that we would want to build. So like I said, we could just focus on the workout plans themselves, or we could also focus on making sure that you get the nutrition right and everything. Or then we could just focus on like AI, which is the holy grail these days, I guess. And these are all now different marketing messages and different features that you can very easily actually A-B test against each other. So to break it down, what we would then end up doing, we would create like three different ads. So essentially could be video or even static ads that we would put up on. Quite often we do these early tests on Meta. So due to its targeting capabilities. So Facebook and Instagram. And then instead of those us just calculating the click-through rates. So with our platform, you can include the App Store pages themselves. So we would also then on top of the ads, build up the App Store pages for each of these different app ideas, essentially. So one with heavy focus on the AI, the other one heavy focus on just the gym, and the other one on nutrition. And if we go one step further, so this, this is another tool that we've already built as well, which is a survey tool that can be, it's very streamlined to the entire flow. So we have very high completion ratios and it looks like the brand that you're actually testing out when you put up all the images and everything. 
So doing this now in the very early stage, we would actually get information, estimated cost per installs for each of these different messages. We could see the entire funnel metrics. So we could see the click-through rates, but also the store conversion itself already at this stage. And then on top of that, on the surveys, we could already start to build up the, like user personas and everything. So that's a very general way on, on how the functionalities of the apps could be tested in the early stage. But then this is often extended to in games, there's a very heavy focus on the art style. So whether it's very realistic or cartoony or anything in between or the themes. So if we would scratch our fitness idea and then start to build up a strategy game instead, so it could be anything from pirates to space pirates and dinosaurs and whatever. So also like finding out those themes is very common in the early stages too. So you're doing live testing, you mentioned on meta. And so just essentially, are you buying specific audiences that you're testing against or assuming maybe who this user base is that this game or this app would appeal to based on demographic? So both. We also have our agency side. We don't necessarily call it agency, but it's very, very focused customer service. But in those cases where we're hands-on from the very beginning, so our typical approach would be to start off with a very broad audience. So actually just tap into it. And then as we have those surveys in which we actually ask a lot of demographic questions, questions about typical motivations and other games or apps we might use. So from that, then we start to actually narrow down the audience and then typically in parallel, continue running like the broader scope tests, but also like narrowing down, narrowing down the very, very core audience and seeing how that works out and how that turns out to be at the same time. So essentially I could check both, I guess. And are there specific creatives that you leverage maybe more so than others? You mentioned video and statics, but I'd have to imagine, especially when it comes to gaming, with these being brand new users and brand new users to a game, playables might come into the fold. It's a battle between efficiency and performance, unfortunately. So I would say that whenever the actual core of your app or game is very novel, so then it has to be video or maybe sometimes even playables so that you can actually communicate that core very easily. But then if you have something that's not so novel, the novelty comes from like a theme combination or something else that you're building on top of it. As an example, if you would have like a puzzle game with like a match tree core gameplay, it's not that novel anymore. Everyone knows how that goes. So that's something you could communicate even easily with a static ad. And then the theme itself would be something that you could even like layer on top of it and test with the statics. But one tip that we've seen that worked well on Facebook or Meta has been that if you want to do something in between, you don't have the resources and you want to be at this and to not do the videos or playables, but at the same time, you want a bit something more than just statics. So then carousel ads has been something that has allowed to put a bit more information in it and have a bit more room to explain the idea of your app or game a bit better. And probably more cost-effective as well, I would assume with carousel. Yeah. yeah. We touched on this briefly, but I do want to dive into AI since that's such a hot word right now and topic in our industry. How are you leveraging AI currently at Geek Lab? Apart from things we're building under the hood right now. So I don't believe that any brief that leaves out of our table anymore goes without using Midjourney or any of the local generative image models. So it's such an easy way to 
add into the visual briefs that we put out as well, that that's something that we use continuously. And then in terms of things that we're building, so obviously we've been blessed to just to have a lot of data in our platform and we continuously obviously scrape the live apps and have a, have a database on how applications change their icons and screenshots and so on. So based on those, we've continuously optimizing and building our own model that will allow you to actually generate variations out of your core visuals a lot faster. So that's one thing that we know that is a thing that slows testing down a bit which is exactly the amount of resources that you have to dedicate, specifically with smaller teams. So then this would eliminate that. Sometimes with testing, it's enough if everything's 90% polished for you to be able to learn things and then polish based on the learnings. So that's something that we're now building and hopefully releasing quite soon, starting off from icons and then moving to the screenshots quite shortly. Now, I guess I actually announced it. That was supposed to be under the hood thing, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Now I let it out, but I guess we have to complete it. Yeah, get everybody excited. It's such a buzzword right now, and I think everybody is saying it, using it, but it's hard to actually conceptualize how different companies are leveraging AI. I think everyone is saying that they're doing it in some capacity, and I guess everyone in some ways has been doing it for quite some time. Maybe we're referring to it in a different way. So I'm always curious like how you feel or other companies feel it's going to like change the future and also change the way that you're working on day to day. Right. Oh, and actually now that you mentioned about it as well, like I think it's already became such a like regular part of our daily lives that I completely forgot how much we actually use like these large language models, ChatGPT being one of them. I'm born and raised here in Finland, Swedish being my second language, English only after that. So I do have to admit that a few of my emails has gone through ChatGPT first to improve the text just a bit. And that daily things we're obviously doing continuously. And then from more a professional point of view, it's crazy how well it does when, for example, if you want to, again, very early stage testing the description, we know from our data that like on iOS, for example, depending a bit on the game or app or genre, but it can be as few as 1% of the people who actually click more button and read the full description. So it's something they have to have there, but it's also something that it could be that only one out of hundred people will eventually see. So tools like ChatGPT and these large language models can actually help you to generate very solid descriptions or at least the base for it at the very early stages, rather than you having to actually spend hours on crafting the perfect one when you know that one out of a hundred might read it. Yeah, not putting in all that time and effort, knowing you have this data that proves, okay, there's only 1% of users that are actually looking at the description. How do we cut down time there? When it comes to testing, what other quantitative metrics are you looking at when doing testing for specific apps? Are there specific metrics that tell you, okay, this is going to be successful? You mentioned click-through rate, of course. What are some other signals? So IPM is typically our North Star metric in this early stage testing, meaning a lot of acronyms. So it's better if I actually spell it out. So in our context, it's installs per meal. So just basically the installs per thousand impressions. That's how we calculate it because that takes into account then both the click-through rate as well as then the conversion rate. Because yeah, often we've seen as well, specifically if there's brands in play, like a big IP. So the ad might have like specifically if the context is novel. So using Angry Birds as an example again. So Angry Birds, now if you would put them into like, I don't know, an ice hockey game, 
or whatever. So that's novel context. So quite often we've seen that then the click-through rates on the ads might be higher than normally. Sure, because you're showing something familiar as in you're showing Angry Birds, that IP within another game. Yeah, exactly. But then on the other hand, a bigger portion of those clicks are actually just being curious and never had the intent to download in the first place, meaning that then the conversion rate is drastically lower. Meaning that even though the ads might have higher click-through rate, the IPM might end up being a lot worse than on the other variants. So that's why IPM is something that we use as the main metric. And then we have a lot of like supportive metrics that we often take a look at from the store, like the behavior point of view. A very key metric for us is the difference between decisive and exploring users. And how we differentiate that is that the exploring users are users who actually scroll through the page like scroll through the screenshots, one of them might have clicked the <laughs> read more button on the description and so on. Whereas the decisive users, they did nothing else, but either just hit the download button or left the page. So that's the only things that they did. So then we often see, first of all, the ratio between these two segments of users, as well as like the performance and the difference in performance between these two segments of users. Because it could be that you're doing something extremely right in the decisive view and explaining like the core message is very, very well there or the opposite way around. And then you could see that the exploring users are like doing extremely well. So everyone who actually explored a bit on the page were convinced and clicked the download button, but everyone who just saw the first two screenshots and the icon and the text a title and subtitle didn't, weren't convinced. So then what the pain point is, where is your, your focus? Would that behavior determine maybe a change in the way that you're thinking about promoting the app? So if you see that users are more like exploring, does that tell you, okay, maybe we need to be more direct in the beginning when we're showcasing specific features so that we can get the users to download a lot faster? Are you looking at time to install? Yeah. Exactly. I'm always quite careful in making like very general assumptions and saying things like I'm about to say. But as an example, if you see a lot of decisive users, so people who just look at the first two screens and nothing else. So one could think that, okay, it might make sense to have a video then and, and have like something that actually plays there so that for the decisive users that could turn them into exploring and stuff. But actually we've seen that quite often with that type of a user segment, they're a very casual audience and they just need the core messages in two screenshots and then they make up their mind whether or not to download it anyways in the first three seconds or less. For example, then in those type of cases, we often cross check with other games or apps in that same genre when we do these campaigns. And based on that, we quite often then might have even end up leaving the video out because we've seen that that could on its own even increase the conversion rates. Yeah, you make a good point about the differences in users, depending on the game. So maybe yeah, for a casual game, it's fine if a user you want them to probably install very quickly and you have to get the message out there in a way that is direct versus with more hardcore users, you really want them to be immersed in the game knowing that, okay, it's going to convince them, you're going to need more convincing to get that user to download. But ultimately, you also want them to keep coming back and spending money in app. Exactly. And we do see a correlation as well between like the engagement of the audience and then the segment as well. So just like you said, it could be that even if you're having a strategy game and then you see a lot of decisive users. So even though you might get insults from them, it could be that you would actually want to do something else to try to get more exploring users in. 
leading up to another metric that then if we're also taking a look at in the very early stages and the game has sort of a downloadable version out. So then instead of looking at just the IPM, so again, the installs per mil. So then another North Star metric would be the installs per mil multiplied by the day one retention. So then you also take into account how sticky the users that actually came in at the very early stage were, because obviously you can do this in famous fake ads and have your store page mimic all of that and then have something completely different in the game, getting like a bunch of user cohorts in that never actually thought they would install the game that they ended up being at. So that's a whole another topic, <laughs> fake ads on its own as well. I was going to say it's probably retention metrics are super important as well, considering there are so many users that just click download and never come back. I know from being in the retargeting space, that's huge. How do you keep users, retain users, especially when you understand what day those users are dropping off and how you get back in front of them. So I can imagine that's probably an area that continuously needs testing. I'm curious, have you found that certain apps have had to scrap their whole strategy because they're seeing high download volume, but that day one retention just is not there. I guess it's hard for most of the failed soft launches, I guess, end up being because of that exact case, but it's hard to attribute it just for the fact that you got the Bronco or Dean as it can be a sum of multiple things. Yeah. Like it might not necessarily be the user base, but what you're showing or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there's big differences like, yeah, if you have a puzzle game and then you're showing like very fake ads where you show like a character that doesn't even necessarily exist in the game doing something that has nothing to do with the game, that's a fake ad that makes no sense. But at the same time, then advertisement on its own is about selling like fantasies and selling mental images. So then you take a strategy game, for example, the gameplay is extremely boring. No one would want to see an ad where you just click a base and see troops going from one place to another. All of those games are sold by selling the actual fantasy of what the game then on its own is. So you're selling you being like the dragon lord that leads the troops to victory. And then you get to the game and it looks nothing like the ad that you saw, but it still has that same fantasy storylines. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't really thinking about that too, because it's like with more casual games, it's much easier to get a user in because the game's fun. It's quick. That's what a lot of users are looking for versus strategies for sure, a little bit more complex and a very distinct user base as well. Yeah. It's why the metrics I talked earlier about the desires and exploring users. So a typical casual game could look like it could look like 80%, even 90% decisive users and then 10, 20 exploring. Whereas with a solid strategy game that has like a very, very fine-tuned like marketing funnel, it can be almost the exact polar opposite, 70% exploring and 30% decisive users. So very different user goals for sure. Definitely. What have you found has changed with privacy specifically in some of this testing? So you founded the company four years ago. This was pre-ATT and a lot of the changes that are coming with being able to accurately measure across different platforms, all that, like how has that impacted any of the testing that you're doing? So from a technical point of view, I guess we're in a lucky space because we're a web like native solution. So none of our solutions were reliant on ATT at all, or like the IDFA. So the tech and, and how everything that we handled were able to continue and operate much like they could earlier. 
minor differences with how Facebook pixels and stuff like this could operate, but still like industry adaptive to our advantage on that tech side quite fast. So we didn't see any massive issues there, but I guess as a whole, what we truly saw was that the importance of truly like testing and knowing who your audience is became more and more important because the only way they truly now like actually know is to test and ask and learn. Whereas previously you, you could also rely a bit on the ad networks themselves and the entire system evolving around IDFA and Google's advertiser ID to just like work on its own. Whereas now you can't really be in the dark anymore. Now you actually have to know who your audience is. You have to know to whom you're making the game instead of just going to Facebook. Not saying that anyone was like super lazy back then either, but like the efforts could have been put on other things than actually knowing who the audience was. As you could just hand out things to these big self attributed networks and let them do the learning work rather than you actually going the extra mile on, on finding out who the audience is. Back to ATT prompt. So are you helping apps with when they should be showing those prompts or is that completely out of your purview? So we work like just pre that prompt, essentially. I was curious about that because I can imagine that's also another piece too, because it's probably going to allow for a lot of user drop off and that breakage there of like, okay, yeah, we get this user to install, but like, do we actually even know who this user is? Exactly. And I've gone down this rabbit hole myself multiple times also, because first of all, I continuously, whenever my wife is using her phone to the point of annoyance, like looking at how she's like behaving whenever she sees an ad and like, <laughs> I'm asking like, why did you click that? <laughs> like that and then got in market research. <laughs> yes. And then doing the same to myself now these days, I've been learned to like always kind of, oh, wait, why did I do that? And oh, I did this now. And, and one of the things that I've noticed that I do a lot is that I end up downloading these games quite often in a situation where I don't have time to try it out. And then they end up on my like last downloaded and then it might have taken like a week or two before I actually open up the game and start to play it, which is also, there's so many different use cases. And again, goes to showing that it, it truly, it's worth to deep dive and look into your audience and players and customers to find out what they think, what they do and how they behave. People are willing to share stuff if you ask. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And it goes back to what you were talking about before with like the survey is that you actually see high response rates that users are willing to respond. That's quite shocking to me. Right. And this was specifically in the earliest stage, like the first years of the company when we really were talking about this pre-product launch testing and stuff. So the most common question we got asked was that doesn't People get extremely mad. They are clicking now ads and clicking download, and then they see a survey. The app doesn't exist. However, for example, in our survey template or survey itself, like it always starts off with a welcome page. So you can't get to the first question before you go through the welcome page. And we have our templates and on those templates, we've pre-crafted like a prompt that explains to the audience, like what's going on. And it often starts with like, thanks a lot for your interest and then explains and goes through that unfortunately the game isn't even nearly out yet. We just started off with this idea, but we're extremely excited to have you here. If you answer these few questions and drop your email after it, we'll include you as part of the community and we'd love to get you involved in developing this game with us. And with that, you actually then start to already like build up a very, very strong community and get very valuable insights. A caveat about this though, that we've seen too is and why you can't just do questionnaires. You always have to also have 
performance data to back results up because it's not only once or twice that we've seen that like what users answer on the survey might not be at all reflective to what then actually ends up performing on the ads. So as an example, it could be that they're doing a character test. So you have three different characters, completely different looking, different characteristics. And it could be that like character A is performing absolutely worse out of them all. And then like variation B would be like just killing it, making twice or three times the amount of installs. And it's not once or twice again that we've seen that then on the survey itself, if you show all of those three characters to the audience and ask which of these do you like the most? So then the one that actually did not end up performing at all could be the one that has even the highest amount of votes when users are being asked, which is just goes to show that it's a completely different situation. Also to think that what do you like when you're actually taking your time and answering a survey versus you have your TV on, Netflix is there, your kids are screaming on the side, and then you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you click an ad. So what performs there might not be what you would actually say that you'd love the most. It's a different scenario as well. Yeah. So it's really looking at those quantitative metrics, not qualitative, and knowing that user behavior will tell all versus what a user might willingly put out in, as far as information or insights when they're actually going to behave very differently than what they say they like. Exactly. And then it's the point of then running the surveys. It might be that then if you have a game and you have all these characters, so then the character that you use in advertisement could be completely different than the character that you should introduce in the very early stages of the game. Because it could be that that character is something that the players love in general more. Of course, if you do it Perfectly, you will have deep linking and link the characters towards different advertisements. But for that to getting feedback from the audience is what can help you to build up future hypotheses and ideas. Yeah, testing out different theories at least and give you insight onto what you probably should be testing out. Yeah. All right, Jesse, I'd like to end the show with a very high level question, but where do you see mobile marketing going in the next three years? Let's say a lot has changed in the last three. So I'm curious. Yeah, I guess this is in video so people can see it, but I've lost all of my hair because a lot of things <laughs> have changed in like <laughs> the past years. I wouldn't be comfortable in saying what will happen in three years. I bet that in about a year's time, things will be such different already. We can't overlook AI. We tap into it. I think that's something that will, it will change the speed and the efficiency in which we can do things. And then that will open up new things for us. Video and image being able to generate extremely well with AI being, I think, the biggest things that we'll see short. But can't guess what else will happen in three years. Maybe I should ask AI. <laughs> yeah, you should be able to get an answer. <laughs> yeah, just a second. Now. <laughs> well, Jesse, thank you so much for being such a terrific guest. It was a pleasure having you here today. Thanks a lot. Pleasure was all mine. And for our listeners, our guest today was Jesse Lempianen. He is the CEO and co-founder of Geek Lab. Hopefully we can chat again soon. Yes, hope so. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.